Father, just would uh, pray uh, for your direction in the lives of uh, the young people here at Rock Valley Bible Church. Just thank you for Dylan and his encouragement to us and the Brandon family over the years, um, just how he has uh, just, just come and, and served, uh, even playing drums today. And uh, so he's looking for direction for his life. Thank you for your guidance and for, the, uh, for um, Kaya Cornforth, just even mentioning uh, the school uh, where he's going, and just would pray that you would prosper him there. Just pray for the Breckenridges. They, they see their children beginning to drift from them and, and leave, as we have uh, had several of our children do that. Just would pray that you would comfort them and help them in this time. I uh, just would pray even for Advent that we are here at a season of hope, uh, this first Sunday in Advent, and may, may that hope of Christ and Christ coming to redeem us from our sins, um, taking on flesh and blood, uh, be our hope. Um, so, Father, we just would pray your blessing upon my message, blessing upon those at home. Um, just help us and strengthen us this season in Jesus' name. Amen. And so my challenge to you at home is why don't you write a, a note of encouragement to Dylan. There you go. So there's some interaction. You can, you can do that. That would be wonderful. Also, just have an announcement that uh, we're going to have Zoom fellowship tonight. Um, from 6 to 7 p.m., if you just want to get on and see other people from church, that's kind of what it's about. Um, and so last, last Sunday night, we had a good time. And so if you want to, just updating people, because there are lots of people who aren't here today uh, who are online, and there's lots of people online. Maybe you can't see who's here. And so it's just an opportunity to connect. If you want to, if it works out, um, 6 o'clock, I'll send out a link at 545, and uh, we'll hard stop at 7 o'clock. That'll just be it, so it won't uh, drone on for a long time. Um, so I do invite you to open your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 3, and uh, my message this week is, is part two from my message last week, and so I thought I'd introduce my message this week the same way I introduced it last week because some enjoyed it, and uh, remember what we did last week at all, how I introduced my message? Who remembers? Yeah, what, Austin? Austin? Tongue twisters. This time we're going to do some tongue twisters. This time it's the adults who I want um, tongue twisting, not the kids. All right, we're going to have adults this time and see how well you all are. And um, so I need someone, and you can, if you're sneaky, you can you can try to get your spouse to volunteer. So who would like to volunteer to do one? Okay, all right, Heather. Heather is the first one. Come on, Thatcher. We got a microphone for you. <coughs> All you got to do is just uh, say it nice and loud. Here you go. You kind of got a tough one. <laughs> go ahead, nice and loud. The six chick sheep six sheep sick. <laughs> the Close. Six, the six six sheep six sheep sick. Good, 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 good. All right, who's next? Who's next? We only have a few. We don't have a lot of them. Who's next? Who's volunteering? Someone. Okay, I got Will Weber has uh, been volunteered. So your, your friends over here have volunteered you, Will. So here you go. <coughs> or I can do it. Oh, okay, all right, there you go. <laughs> That's better. Go ahead, Jenna. Rory the warrior and Roger the warrior were reared wrongly in a rural brewery. That's very impressive. <laughs> all right, we need another one. Very good, thank you. Who else going to go today? Wow. Okay, okay, Jake is nominating people, he's nominating, which one, Dirk or Nancy? Dirk, Dirk, here you go. 
Okay, and I'll let you nominate the last one because it seems like that's how it's going. So Dirk, Dirk Reed, Thatcher, right here. Okay, here you go, Dirk. <laughs> if you must, if you must cross a course, cross. If you must cross. Sorry. <laughs> if you must cross a course, cross cow. Cross a crowded cow crossing, cross the cross cor course, cow across the crowded cow crossing carefully. Good, good. All right, we got one last one. And who is it, Jake? One last one? <coughs> Avon. Avon, there you go. Hmm. Here you go. And this is, this is the easy one that kind of segues into uh, my message today. You ready? Here you go, Avon. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. A peck of pickled peppers Peter Piper picked. If Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, where's the peck of pickled peppers Peter Piper picked? <laughs> there you go. Good job. Well, that is because my message this morning is Peter preaching in the portico part two. You got that, right? So that's, that's why we, we did that. Part two is where we're going. I did study a little bit about Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. That was first published in 1813 in the book entitled Peter Piper's Practical Principles of Plain and Perfect Pronunciation. <laughs> so my, my sermon title is not quite so hard, but it's got lots of peas, and we're going to see lots of peas as we, we come up. Um, but Peter was preaching in the portico. Now, the portico where Peter was preaching is a large place on the Temple Mount. Lots of people could fit there. It's often called Solomon's Porch, probably on the eastern side of the, the Temple Mount, which is the big courtyard outside before you even enter into the, the temple area. And it's, a, it's an area with a tall stone columns. Picture them as high as the roof here and in, in the church building and covered with a roof, probably of cedar, providing shade. For lots of people, and there were a bunch of people, if you look in Acts chapter 3 and verse 11, we read that all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Here we are, the people were astounded. They were astounded because the miracle that Peter had done a few minutes before, and he had lame, healed a lame man. You remember Peter and John were entering into the temple, and they saw this man begging for, for, for money. And uh, for alms is what it's called. And Peter said those famous words, I have no silver, I have no gold, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And he raised him up and he began walking and leaping and praising God, causing quite a stir. So that in verse 11 we read that all the people were there. So, so word got around, like this happened. And they're like, like this, is, this, is, this is a scuttlebutt. And so they were all around there uh, trying to figure out what's happening at Solomon's portico. Uh, the lame man was there as well, as he was, verse 11 says, he clung to Peter and John. And so you can picture this, this lame man just right here hugging Peter and John, maybe at his leg, while he stands up and speaks these words. Verse 12, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our power of piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus whom, when he, in the presence of Pilate, when you had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you. But you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man well. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. 
And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, as Christ should suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, and you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken, from Samuel and those who came after him, also proclaim these days, and you are sons of the prophets, and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And of course, the response there is that many did turn from their wickedness. And soon afterwards, they had 5,000 people following them. You see that in chapter 4 and verse 4. But this morning, we're looking at the sermon. This is really sort of our, our third go at this. Uh, first, first Sunday, we looked at this. We looked at the, the miracle and then the message. And we looked at the miracle for almost all the time and only got the message really stemming off of verse 26 and the, the themes there. Last week, we looked at the miracle only a little bit. We looked at the message a lot, but only got halfway through the message. And so today I want to get all the way through the message, and that way we're going to just review a little bit. We're going to pick up some steam, and we're going to see everything here in the sermon. We see verse 12 with the pivot is what I'm calling it. Peter transitions from the miracle to speak then about his message. Men of Israel, he says in verse 12, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our power of piety we have made him walk? Peter points out that it's, it's not us, but it's, it's God who did the miracle. And he transitions to Jesus, he transitions to God, he transitions to the gospel. And I encourage you last week to, to seek to make those transitions and to make those pivots in your conversations when speaking with people, right? Always be thinking about ways in which you can turn your conversation to spiritual things. And now you won't always be success, successful. You won't be met with uh, receptive hearts all the time. Um, but your words, let, let God do his work through seeking to bring up spiritual things. I, I quoted Charles Spurgeon last week. I just want to quote a little bit different part of that same extended quote when he was talking to his, his ministerial students. He's talking to future pastors. He said this, and I think what he says is very applicable to all of us. He says, be sociable and cheerful and all that, but labor to accomplish something. He says, consider yourself, after all, as being very much responsible for the conversation which goes on where you are. And I think that's a good insight for all of us to consider ourselves responsible for the direction of the conversations and where they go. And Spurgeon continues, steer it in a good channel. He says, do this without roughness or force. Keep the points of a line in good order and the train will run on your rails without jerk, but be ready to seize opportunities. And he says this, this is really the, the key, I think. If your heart is in it and your wits are awake, you will be easy enough, it, this will be easy enough, especially if you breathe a prayer for guidance, I think that's where it is. When speaking to people, pray for guidance to, from the Lord to, to guide something spiritually. That, that, that's the pivot. Next, we saw the power. He pivoted to the power from the miracle to the power. And basically, the power is God. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's the one 
who raised up Jesus. And verse 16 then, and by the name of Jesus, by faith in his name, name has made this man well. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And this is how in our Christian lives we'll accomplish anything. It's just by faith and trust in Jesus. Faith in Jesus, what saves us from our sins? Ephesians 2.8, by grace you've been saved through faith. Faith is a channel through which we're saved. Faith is the ultimate thing that empowers us to live righteously. Romans 8, um, 1 and verse 17, the righteous shall live by faith. And faith also empowers us to, to good deeds and good works. And in this faith place, the, the good work that Peter did was raising this man up to walk. And it was only done through faith. Well, next comes the problem. And, and the problem was that uh, this very one who was the power behind the miracle, this is the very one that the people rejected. Verse 13, God glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And this calls to mind the scene of Pontius Pilate. When the Jews delivered over Jesus, and even right there before Pontius Pilate, they denied him, saying, he's not ours. We want you to crucify him, Pilate. Even when Pilate said, why? Why? He's done no wrong. They said, crucify him, crucified him. He was the Messiah. Verse 14, this, he even describes here the holy and righteous one, the holy one, the righteous one. The Messiah who would come. He was the author of life. He's the one who came to give life. But they put him to death. And the good news for us this morning is that uh, he's not dead, but he's alive and well. He rose from the dead. And his resurrection demonstrates he's got power even to raise this man from the dead. Power to heal him. That's the problem. That they had destroyed the very one who'd come to give them life. They had missed their Messiah. And then the plea And last week, as we looked at the plea, I just honed in on verse 19 in repentance. We kind of talked about that there. I want to fill out these verses, though, from 17 to 21. So this is really where my part two begins of my message this morning, where Peter in this plea presents the solution to the problem. First of all, he begins with some compassion. He says in verse 17, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. He's saying this, when you were in Pilate's courtyard, And when you demanded that Jesus um, be condemned to death, I know you didn't understand. I know you didn't understand that he was your Messiah. You acted in ignorance. But, Peter says, that doesn't diminish your guilt. But it should help you a a little bit now. You've seen this man healed by the power of Jesus, alive and dead, and now you cannot claim ignorance. Because you've seen this. You've seen the power. And, And it's a miracle. You can't. You can't explain away this miracle. You can't claim ignorance anymore. Now, this whole ignorance aspect to, to Jesus and his first coming um, was, was really nothing new. In fact, it says, look at verse 18. He says, this was prophesied to take place. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. In other words, he's saying this. If you'd been better Bible students, you would have known that this Jesus was exactly the one who's prophesied to come. He had, had prophesied, as God did, of the, pro, the, the sufferings of the Messiah, and you would have known that this was the Messiah. Peter could sympathize, though, with their ignorance. You remember what took place in Caesarea Philippi? 
when uh, the disciples were away with Jesus, and Jesus kind of ruminates with uh, the disciples. He says, um, who do the crowd say that I am? And some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of a living God. And at that point on, Jesus then explained what, what his plan was. He's going to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Jesus put the plan right before him. And, and, and Peter said, no. He took him aside, began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from me, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. All right? He was ignorant. He was ignorant even when it was there, even when it was, was told, here's what's going to happen. If he truly understood that he was the Christ, the son of the living God, he would have sifted it through the scriptures that speak about the suffering of the Messiah, but he didn't. So he could sympathize with the crowds. And the truth stands, right? But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets as Christ should suffer, he thus fulfilled. That was a lesson that Jesus had to teach his ignorant disciples on the road to Emmaus. I mean, they were even a, a better place than where Peter was. After the death and then resurrection, they kind of heard maybe he was raised from the dead. We well, was hoping he was going to redeem Israel. And they were confused, downcast after the crucifixion and these rumors of resurrection because their hopes were dashed. But they didn't realize that that's exactly what had been foretold in the scriptures. And so Jesus rebuked them. Luke 24, 25 through 27. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. He says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And then, Luke comments then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he said, it's necessary that Christ should suffer. And so he began to speak all those passages of scripture that, that bear light and prophecy upon his life. And, and that's what Peter is saying. He's saying, God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that Christ would suffer. But focusing here on, on, on how the Christ would suffer. So I just, I just ask you, are you a good Bible student? Do you know where the Bible speaks about prophesying, about the suffering of the Messiah? Any place? Help me, volunteer. Isaiah 53 is like the huge spot. It's the first place you come. Tons of things there. He, Christ would be scourged and beaten, oppressed, and afflicted, sacrificed like the Passover lamb led to slaughter. How about other prophets? that prophesy of the Messiah, the sufferings of the Messiah. Any others? Psalm 22, absolutely speaks about that. David prophesies that, about how he'd be pierced and, and crushed. Absolutely. What about others? Even Psalm 22, just think about how he would be, he'd be mocked, was right there. How he'd be, pierced, how his bones wouldn't be broken, how God would, would forsake him. Psalm 22 for sure. Uh, others come to mind? Those are the two big ones. You think the suffering of Jesus, think Isaiah 53, think Psalm 22 for sure. This is like, this is like extra credit, just like for an A plus, to move from an A minus to an A plus. Thatcher? Okay, now we're talking about Old Testament prophecies of himself, of suffering. I wouldn't be surprised you don't get any more. Genesis 3.15. Yeah, yeah. The, the prophecy there about how the, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent and the seed of the serpent is going to rise up and crush your heel, bruise your heel. But he's going to come back and crush the head. So even bruising the heel is a suffering there. Good job. 
I got two others on my list that I could think of. Zechariah, good, good. What's it, what's it say in Zechariah? <coughs> Look on him who they have pierced. Yep. It also prophesies before that, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But both those are in Zechariah. One is in 12 and one's in 13. All right, I just got one more. Mama said it's all I can come up with. Huh? Psalm 34. It's probably something there. I can't remember. The one I got, there could be another one. So the one I got was Daniel prophesied Messiah would be cut off. So that doesn't necessarily say he's going to suffer, but it just means that he's going along and he's going to be cut off. Obviously, then of his is death. And, uh, and, and I just say this is what Peter's talking about. About all the prophets that Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And I think even there's a sense where as the prophets went through life, the, the, the call of a prophet was not a, a call to a life of ease. The call to a prophet was, uh, call to a life of the prophet was a, a life of suffering. And Jesus even brings this out. He lamented over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, O oh Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. So if the prophets of Israel suffered when, the, when they came to Jerusalem, was it not the case that the greatest prophet would also suffer as well? And so they saw that and experienced this is the, the flavor of all the scriptures. And so getting back to Peter's sermon, we see the, the plea. Right? We see the fact the scripture fulfilled, but now comes the plea, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. This is the only way out of our problems. The only way for them to get out of their problem was to turn from their sin and to God. That's what we need to do when we have difficulties and problems and trials. When we turn from our sin, turn to God and plead mercy at his hand. What's true back then is true of us today. That's the the way to God is by by turning from our own sinful, selfish ways. And turning to God in whom there's hope. And then Peter here really gives four results or four blessings of repentance. The first is forgiveness of sins. We see that here in verse 19. He says, repent therefore and turn back. Those are synonyms. That your sins may be blotted out. The picture here is of an eraser. That uh, Think of the, the children's notes here, right? They all, have, they all have pencils on them. And you know far better than I do. But some of the, some of the erasers on the pencils look like this. I'm not sure if you can see. I know online you can't see. You just got to trust me that that's a nice fresh eraser. And uh, kids, when they, they have their notes and they, they do something wrong, when they fill in a blank, where they guess the blank before I come, and uh, then I say a different word and, and you're erasing it. And when you go over the notes with me, you don't even, I, I couldn't even tell that it was wrong because you erased it. You blotted it out. And so is the, the idea here. You realize your mistake and you you, you, you wipe it out, and you write over it. You can't even tell that there was a mistake before. That's what God does when we, when we repent. He forgives our sins and wipes them out. You can't even tell that they were there anymore. You know, there are other pencils that have been used. I'm not sure if you can tell the difference between these two pencils, but, but this eraser here has got a little problem because it's been used. And you could barely, barely erase with this one because it's so flat. But God's eraser never runs out. God's eraser is always fresh and always ready to erase. And that's the promise. When we repent, there is forgiveness. Secondly, we see what I'm calling refreshment. That begins at verse 20. 
that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, right? Repent that your sins may be blotted out, that you might have erasure of your sins, and then that this refreshment might come. So you say, what does this mean? Well, I, I think in some regards it's true of anyone who repents. When sins are forgiven, there's this heaviness and the burden of sin that is lifted, and, and relationships are restored, and, and all things are right in the world, and you can have a big, happy, smiley face. There's just a, a refreshment, uh, a little bit like a, a cup of cold water on a hot summer's day. The, the, the satisfaction comes, and joy, and delight. And I think that's true of anyone who repents. This fresh refreshment comes. But I think in the original context, it might be referring to something a little bit different, referring specifically to Israel the time of national repentance, the time of national revival that would come to Israel when, when, when Messiah is received and the people then are all living in harmony and all is well when the whole revival comes. That's, that's refreshment. And this is what God promised to Israel. Refreshment will come to you when you as a nation repent. As we have promises in Romans chapter 11 that that will happen, all Israel will be saved that's what we can hope in. Then, then, then we have a, a next phrase, and this is the reason why I think refreshment has to do with that, is because it says not only the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, right, when the people of the Lord are walking together in harmony, but that he may send the Christ appointed for you, which is Jesus. I'm calling this reconciliation. I'm talking about the return of Christ. When Christ comes back and, and all things are restored, Messiah is among the people, and rather than rejecting him, he is accepted. And, and I love how Peter identifies Jesus as the one who is coming. Just look there again. Right? The, the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Jesus is the very one mentioned by name who was rejected in verse 13. God glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over denied in the presence of Pilate. And now when he's sending here the reconciliation, he's going to send the, the Christ appointed for you, who is Jesus. He's the one who's going to restore all things to you. Now, I remember a few years ago, coming up on my YouTube feed, some, uh, some videos about some Jewish apologist who was in, um, in Israel and uh, was interviewing secular Israel Jews and uh, just talking to them about, you know, so these aren't the Hasidic Jews who know the scriptures really well. These would be secular Jews who are probably atheistic, maybe somewhat moral, who knows. Um, but asking them about the, the Messiah, and of course they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. But then the question came, who is the Messiah? What's he going to be like? And uh, the fla- general flavor of their answers was that uh, they didn't know. We don't know who Messiah will be. We don't know what he will be like. It could be anyone it it, it could in fact it could be a few people it could be a a a political party or it could really be everyone but it'll become manifest only after the scene when we see israel restored to greatness and blessing and then we'll say oh who's the one that brought that in oh who's the key to that oh this is the guy he was the messiah he was the one that brought israel into prominence it's a little bit like 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 history tells all Uh, you know i think about people who we think about presidencies you know, we think about Abraham Lincoln in this day and age. Back, back when Abraham Lincoln was president, he wasn't seen so great. But looking back now, we say all the good things he did. 
Or maybe even people, by and large, are looking at Ronald Reagan that way. We, we knew that something great was there, but, but you look back and just the things that he brought in. I'm not trying to be political. I'm just trying to say that in history, as it bears out, then you look back and you say, oh, that was the one. And so likewise, lots of secular Jews will say it's only history will be able to answer the question of when Messiah came. So verse 20 is so different that he's going to send Jesus to you. This Jesus you rejected is going to come again, and he is the Messiah. This is the one. He's identified him. But now Jesus isn't coming back. He is, is waiting. And that's what verse 21 speaks about. Whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And this is what I'm just calling restoration this right now, Jesus is in in the heavens, right? There's the the ascension and he's waiting, just astonishing again where the ascension comes up uh, in the book of Acts again. There he is. He's just he's just waiting up there. And then he will at, at some point when he comes. But heaven's got to have him until the time for restoring all things. I'm calling this restoration. I think that's perfect, Gary, that you read from uh, Psalm 80 today. Psalm 80, just the prayer over and over. Three times in that psalm was a, as a prayer for restoration. In verse 3, in verse 7, in verse 19, the, the prayer is this. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. And I think there's a longing of Israel that, that the restoration would come. And, and the Messiah came, but they rejected that Messiah. But this is longing for that time when that restoration would come. And it's really much a time of hope this first sunday this first sunday of advent the candle there is a candle of hope this is this is the hope that we have of jesus coming back and restoring all things righting all wrongs and making it good again but during his time in the heavens he is waiting he is praying and his heart is for us he longs he's the advocate for us always praying Praying for us in our difficulty and our distress. Moving towards us, not moving away from us. But there will be a time when he comes and does restore all things. When the new heavens come and the new earth come. And when God will be our God and we will be his people. And, and Peter said that, that all the prophets spoke about that. Right? Heaven receives Christ, verse 21, until this time for restoring all things. Right? When Christ comes back. About which God spoke. By the mouth of all his prophets long ago. It's interesting. I mentioned a, uh, last week, two weeks ago, about how this sermon is so different than the Sermon at Pentecost. The sermon at Pentecost is like Joel 2. He deals with that. And then he deals with Psalm 16. And then he deals with Psalm 110. Just specific passages. But, but here in, uh, in Acts 3, just the, pa- the passages are just large. Like, like verse 18. When he, when he said... But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that Christ should suffer. Like this is the message of all the prophets. And we see that again here in verse 22. That God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. He's going to pick it up again in verse 25. You're sons of the prophets. Right? You're just all these prophets. All, just so, so Peter just kind of appeals to this general picture of the scripture about all the prophets spoke about this, this time of hope and harmony. And I just, I just picked out a few prophetical passages that talk about that but if you look at at all the prophets um, for the most part there may be an exception but they're always talking about this future hope this future hope of israel this future hope of god's people like um isaiah uh, it speaks about the, the the time when the wolf and the lamb lie together in harmony 
Or Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, when the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Just the, the time for restoration. Or, or Jeremiah, when he prophesied that all will know the Lord from the least to the greatest of them. This time when he is restored. Or, or Zechariah, chapter 14, verse 8 and 11, which talk, Zechariah talks about the living waters flowing out of Jerusalem and Jerusalem dwelling in security. It's like this like this time when it's, it's all there and it's all restored. That's the plea. Repent that these blessings of forgiveness and refreshment and reconciliation and restoration will come. Okay, here's my fifth point. Starts with the letter P. Good. Here's the peril because I'm preaching about Peter preaching in the portico, part two. So here's the, plea. Here's the, the peril, verses 22 and 23. At this point, Peter returns back to the, the sin of the people he's preaching to, right? He's already talked about, verse 13, 14, and 15, about the problem they're in. Um, but now with greater danger than they ever realized, this is the peril of their predicament. He says in verse 22, he says, Moses said, so he's one of the prophets, kind of picking up from verse 21, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Now, when we think of the prophecies of Messiah, this isn't one that comes to mind very often. We, we don't think about Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 and 19, which is quoted here. Though we're going to see in Acts chapter 7 that Stephen refers to this quote. But only the first part, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me. And you think, well, what's characteristic of Moses? Is that characteristic of Jesus? One of the things about Moses, he was, a, he was a great leader, but he was a humble leader. In fact, it says in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, that this Moses was more humble than anybody else. You think about Jesus walking on the planet. He, though he could have had all glory to himself, he took the form of a, a man and came in the form of a servant, even to the point of the cross. He was the most humble of, of leaders there were, just like Moses. Moses was a miracle worker. He, he's the one through whom God orchestrated all these great plagues. And Jesus, likewise, was this miracle worker like Moses. Moses was a, a great teacher who gave the law, who gave great direction to the people of God. And I think about Jesus and how he was this, this great teacher and gave direction to the, the people of God, giving us even that the law was through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus. So describing even in a in a in just a paradigm shifting way about how it is the people of God ought to live not not by the letter of the law but by the spirit which gives life and so Jesus really is the the whole picture of Moses the second servant just like Moses that he came and it says that we should listen to him verse 22 the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from brothers and you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you now, in our day and age, I, I just uh, thought about this. We have red-letter Bibles. I have a red-letter Bible. Some people are against red-letter Bibles, but I think they're okay. And, but the red letters means those are the words of Jesus. And uh, the, the idea of red letters is that, oh, like these words, you've got to really listen to them. And, of course, we need to listen to all the words of the Bible because they all are the, the Word of God. But we need to listen to the words of Jesus, particularly even here. He's going to raise up you a prophet like me. He's going to raise up this Jesus, and you shall listen to him whatever he tells you. And so you should listen to him in his invitations. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You need to listen to that, to come to Jesus. We need to listen to his exhortations. 
which says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We need to listen to that. We need to repent, realize his kingdom is close. We should listen to his purpose in coming. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, that our purpose might line up with his purposes. Right? I mean, just anything he says. I mean, those are just the broadest of categories. We could listen to what he says about his being. Right? I, I'm the good shepherd. That's what he says. I'm the way, the truth, and life. We need to listen to that. We need to listen to his, his prophecies of, of what's coming. We need to listen to his, uh, his teachings, his tenderness, his care. All these things, we need to listen to Jesus. But here's the peril, is the people to whom Peter was preaching did not listen to Jesus. In fact, they rejected him. They delivered him over. They denied him in the presence of Pilate. They killed the author of life. And then Peter quotes from Deuteronomy 18, which says this, And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So when it says every soul who does not listen to that prophet, who's that prophet? That prophet is who? It's Jesus. So he's just quoting there. So even if you want to, in your, in your Bibles, just kind of put Jesus right above that. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to Jesus shall be destroyed from the, the people. So just think about the peril they're in, in in that day. Those people did not listen to Jesus. Instead, they denied him and delivered him over to be crucified. They deserve to be destroyed. It's only the mercy of God that they were standing there in Solomon's portico several months after the resurrection of Jesus, that they, that they weren't destroyed. It was only God's mercy. It would have been totally just for God, based upon Deuteronomy 18 alone. For that day when Christ was, was on the cross, he was taken down, and as soon as he was laid in the tomb and protected, it would have been totally justifiable, God, for fire and brimstone to come down and wipe out Jerusalem like it did Sodom and Gomorrah. Because the soul who did not listen to that prophet should be destroyed from the people. And Jerusalem didn't listen. They should be destroyed. God had warned them. They refused the warning. They deserved to be destroyed like Adam and Eve. In the day that you eat the fruit, you shall surely die. It was mercy that they lived another day. It's God's mercy that kept them from destruction. It's God's mercy that kept Jerusalem from destruction. And, and there was the peril. And, and I just want to step back a little bit and learn about witnessing as we speak with people. I mean, right, you need to give them the bad news first before they hear the good news. I mean, that's Romans 1 through 3 is the bad news or sin before you, you get to salvation, chapters 3 through 5. But, but once you get to the good news, you don't always have to just stay on the good news because you might have to remind them again of the bad news. And we likewise, isn't the bad news helpful for us? Like even thinking about this, about, wow, every time I don't listen to Jesus, every soul who does not listen to the prophet should be destroyed from the people. Like we deserve death when we don't listen to Jesus. It's always good to hear the bad news, and then the good news contrasted, and then the bad news again, and then the good news, and then the bad news, and then the good news. And this is how we ought to speak with people. This is how we ought to be in our mind. So we speak a problem in verses 13 to 15. We, we see the plea, right? The print, the the promise of repentance and we rejoice in that but after preaching the good news then peter goes right back here to the bad news the peril the danger which emphasizes again the need for repentance but he doesn't end there he ends with some more good news which i'm calling what's this letter, point start with starts with a p it's the promise verses 
24 through 26. And the promise is for blessing. And all the prophets who have spoken, here again, these big swaths of Scripture, from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So here it is again. Good news. And uh, bad news, good news, bad news, good news. Here comes the good news. And uh, we, <clears throat> we see the good news. The blessing <clears throat> is coming to all who call upon the Lord. In fact, this is the constant message of, of all the prophets. Is the blessing is coming through the hand of Jesus. He says here that you are sons of the prophets and of the covenants that God made with her father Abraham. Sons of those who are bringing good news. It is interesting that the prophets, though oftentimes you read the prophets of, say, Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel, it's just condemnation. Bam, 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 you're in peril, you're in peril, you're in peril. But sometimes the prophets come up, like in, uh, in Isaiah. Like just a condemnation is coming, condemnation is coming. And then it's in chapter 12 where Isaiah comes up and gives hope. And then in chapter 13, condemnation against Babylon, 14 against Assyria, 15 against Moab, and 16, and Damascus in chapter 17, Cush in chapter 18, and Egypt in chapter 19. Just crushing, crushing, crushing. And then, and then comes the good news. Isaiah 19. To Egypt, in that day there will be an altar of the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt, and a pillar to the Lord in its border. And it will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts, to the land of Egypt, when they cry to the Lord because of oppressors. He will send them a savior and a defender and he will deliver them. This is Egypt. This is wicked Egypt upon whom he just cast curses and condemnation. There will be blessing there. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering. And they'll make vows to the Lord and perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing. And they'll return to the Lord and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. It's always in this condemnation. There's always this hope through all the prophets. Uh, you see, Jeremiah, in the midst of his condemnation, in the midst of his saying, Hezekiah or, or um, Nebuchadnezzar is coming, he's going to destroy you, you're going to be in exile. He gives a hope. He says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope, right? So those exiles who were there in Babylon, like had this hope because this hope was coming even after the, the condemnation and the, and the judgment would come. He says, and you will call upon me and come to me and pray to me and I will hear you and you will seek me and I'll find you when you seek me with all your heart. And I'll be found by you, declares the Lord. And I'll restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. I'll bring you back to the place in which I sent you into exile. And there's the hope. There's, there's the prophets who spoke these words that we ignored, but, but all the prophets who spoken, right, from Samuel and everyone after them, proclaim these days of great blessing, even when backdropped against these days of curses. There was hope. And, and for Peter in this audience standing there, it was the days of the Messiah, the people of God. He proclaimed the days of, of blessing. And, and he reminds them who they are, not only are the sons of the prophets, but also the sons of of the covenant. Verse 25. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. 
That, that's the foundational promise to, to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. about I'm just going to bless you. I'm going to take you out of Ur the Chaldeans. And I'm just going to bless your family. So go out from there and I'm going to give you this land to you and all your descendants after you. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And there was the blessing that the Jews had in in some regards just because they were sons of Abraham. They had a a blessing there because you, you bless Israel and God blesses those who bless you. Now, they certainly distorted it where they thought simply because by birth that they they deserved everything. That certainly they walked in wicked ways. But there there was this blessing of being Abraham's offspring. It was through them that the blessing of the world would come. And for us, of course, that's the gospel, that, that through Abraham came the Messiah, and through the Messiah meant salvation to the world. Or we can call upon Christ. But, but for us, it works a little bit differently. For them, it worked. They were children of Abraham. We aren't children of Abraham. We, by and large, are not Jews. And the blessing doesn't come to us, right, by, by any sense of birth, but it comes to us by faith. But by faith, we can... Join right into this covenant. It is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham, Galatians 3, 7. So those who believe and trust then are sons of Abraham and experience this blessing that's come through the promises of God. Galatians 3, verse 9, it's those who are of faith who are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So we join this blessing, and, and that's, Peter's preaching to the Jews, they joined it one way, but he's telling them, no, believe and trust, and we as Gentiles coming in outside then looking back, we come by faith to know this blessing, to realize this through, through the Abraham, we are, are blessed. And then comes that last verse, which really summarizes the whole, the whole sermon, and maybe it makes more sense to you now. Um, I preached this a couple Sundays ago. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you Jews first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Th- there is God. Right? There's the power Verses 13 and 16, the, the power that, that raised this man. Here's God having raised up his servant. There is, is Jesus being raised from the dead. He's the one who has the power to do these things. Um, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. There's the, the repentance aspect that comes right in uh, verse 19. Turning you. And then that brings blessing. Walk in righteousness and you receive the blessing of God. When you turn from your own ways and you turn and trust in Jesus, there's the blessing that comes. And that's at the work of, of God's hand that is doing that. And that's where Peter ends his message. And he's there in chapter 4 and verse 1 speaking to the people. And not all were happy because the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were preaching to the people in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They, they arrested them put them into custody, and then chapter 4 describes what happens and how they try to silence these apostles that we'll deal with next time, probably in the new year, as we'll focus upon Advent the next couple Sundays. So what a great message, what a great uh, preaching, what a great miracle, what a great God we have. So let's pray. Father, we are, are thankful for this message. I pray that if we've taken three weeks to just look at it and examine it and to go over it again and again and again. I pray that it would sink deep into our hearts. God, that it would be a, a, an understanding of, God, how we need to turn and repent. God, because the power is in Christ Jesus and we need to realize it's by faith in His name that makes Him well. It's by faith in His name that makes us well. And I pray that we would constantly, God, be understanding the bad news of our sin and the good news of our Savior. 
and the bad news of our continued rebellion and our bad news of following in the ways of our flesh, yet the good news of the, the power to overcome that and the sanctification that's through Jesus Christ and by faith in Him. So help us, O, o Lord, in these things. Bless us. And, and I would just pray for this COVID-19 crisis. I, I pray, God, in Your grace, it would uh, finish soon, that You would protect us, You'd be gracious to us. Help us Help us to navigate as a church, even with uh, so many online, uh, even this morning. God, help us to build community. May our time of uh, fellowship tonight be sweet. God, for those who want to um, join in on that. God, be with us, we pray, um, in these times. In Jesus' name, amen.